As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome back, everybody. This is Arthur Staple. You're listening to No Sleep Till Belmont, the Islanders podcast from The Athletic. Joined, as always, by my co-host... AJ Maletsko, who is uh, not going to be on the call uh, between periods for Islanders Devils tonight. Uh, what do you got tonight, AJ? I am doing Tampa Bay is heading out to visit Columbus Blue Jackets. Uh, it's a 7 p.m. puck drop on NBCSN, but I'll be keeping an eye on the Islanders score, too. Don't worry. <laughs> Sorry that most of the people listening will not be watching you, but uh, <laughs> we are dealing with the Islander fans. But, it, uh, yeah, you're keeping your crazy schedule straight which is impressive i don't even have to go anywhere my schedule sometimes feels a little jumbled but uh it's also hard this year with the broadcast because sometimes we're it was so exciting on monday to be in the coliseum to see a live hockey game (laughs) but sometimes we're calling the games from the msg headquarters in manhattan and so you know so there's all sorts of craziness going on in these covid times but as you and i both know and have talked about at least whatever gets us live hockey right Exactly, exactly. And we have had live hockey since the last time we we talked last week. So the Islanders season has begun. They're 2-1 and one going into this game against the Devils. Uh, a lot of shutouts, one clunker between two pretty good games. Uh, basically, you know, we've seen we've seen them play for a week. Uh, what have you liked so far from from what you've seen from them? Well, I think I liked the first game, liked the third game, and didn't like the second game, to keep it as simple as possible. But, um, you know, I was really impressed with uh, with their energy in that game one. And I was actually, it was, it, it was very stark, the difference two nights later in the same building, the same opponent, to see the lack of energy. Um, and, you know, in a long season, it's not surprising to have days that you take off or things aren't clicking. It was just surprising to see it so quickly after such a good start. Um, I really, and, and, you know, and everybody on the team and that's from, you know, top to bottom. And there was a lot of talk about Noah Dobson's start. And I was really impressed with him in the opener. I thought he was assertive. He carried the puck. He looked confident. Uh, and then, you know, like a microcosm of the team, he was sort of invisible on Saturday night and, and made some mistakes. Now, again, he's a young kid. He's just breaking into the league. So I'm not, I'm certainly not picking on him because he turned it around on Monday against the Bruins and had another good outing. Um, so, you know, I think that that Barry Trotz didn't rip into his team as much as I expected on Saturday. He did say that they stunk. But then, you know, a couple of days later, upon reflection, he said, I watched it back. And even though the score was lopsided, 
we didn't do that many bad things. We just, we weren't getting the bounces and we didn't quite have the energy. Yeah. I mean, well, we can get more into the second game and, and it's hard to really, you know, make a bigger deal of it because it was just the one game and maybe, maybe a little bit of the first period against Boston, but that's also seeing a new team and especially a team in the Bruins that's always had the Islanders number for the last decade or so. But um, focusing more on that first game, to me, it felt a lot like the first couple of games in the playoffs against Florida, where you had a team that was ready to go, that seemed prepared, that is, you know, the benefit of having a, a veteran coach and a veteran team that knows how it has to play versus a team. It was Florida under a Hall of Fame, certifier Hall of Fame coach in Joel Quenville. I don't know about David Quinn, but uh, the Rangers have some very talented players and the Islanders just took him right out of the game like they did with Florida's talented players. How, how big an advantage do you think it is for the Islanders to to have the the consistency and continuity from message to most of the guys in the room um, in this, in, you know, so many of these weird times, like you said, for the last year, how important do you think that is to, to get things off on the right foot? I actually don't think it can be emphasized enough, especially when you're talking about these short little mini camps, right? So back in July, they had the little mini camp after the world went on hold in March and nobody knew what to do, what, what end was up, let alone when they were going to play hockey again. And then they get word that they're going to be entering camp. And, you know, I think all of us were sort of holding our breath. Is this really going to work? Is this really going to happen? How is this bubble going to, how is everything going to just shake out? And, you know, I've said it a million times and I'll say it a million times again, the credit to the league, uh, credit to the NHLPA for getting it done. Um, but I think that when you have that mini camp in the middle of July, which is not when the players are used to playing hockey, it's usually when they're, you know, off on, on vacation and also doing their off ice training. Um, I think that that's, you know, you have this core group, this veteran group, uh, that's hungry, that has a little chip on their shoulder because, uh, so many people in the rest of the NHL have written them off for years. They believe in themselves, right? And Barry Trotz has said that from the beginning. I, we don't really care what other people think of us. We believe in ourselves. But I think they do care a little bit in a good way. I think they want to prove people wrong. And then you fast forward to January 3rd or whatever day they took the ice for this mini training camp. It was a short camp again, and they didn't have any exhibition games. So they're going in with this very veteran coach who, you know, took over the Islanders after winning the cup. So he has more street cred than you could ask for. And, and they've all bought in and even Matt Barzell, who, you know, a lot of people thought, well, his, you know, you could just see sort of the, the evolution of his relationship with Barry Trotz through their first year or two. He, you know, went through that, the ironing out the contract details and he came and fired up. I mean, did he have a great game on Thursday or what? Yeah, that was, he was shot out of a cannon. Sure. Yeah, and I think when you have somebody like that who sets, you know, he doesn't wear a letter on his jersey, but he is the franchise player, and so he played with with emotion and good emotion. You know, when when we we all as fans of this team, you can see when he's playing well and he's smiling and he's and he's rewarded with ice time. I mean, he had over twenty minutes of ice time, which is a tremendous amount for a forward. Um, but he was getting inside. He was, you know, challenging, and he obviously had that beautiful highlight reel goal, which. As a player, I can tell you shooting with your feet moving like that is a skill that's much harder than it looks like it should be. But he he does it really well. I mean, his feet move so quickly anyway. Um, and so I think that that's, you know, then you turn around and again, I don't know how much we want to get into Saturday night. because I, I imagine most fans want to just flush that one and not think about it. Um, but, you know, you talk about Joel Quenville, a very experienced coach, but he, a new team for him last year. And then David Quinn, not as experienced a coach, but he's got a young team and he's experienced in the college ranks. So I think the future is bright for the Rangers. Again, I understand fans don't want to hear that. 
Um, but for the rivalry, it's good news. They're going to push each other. But I think they had so many new pieces that these short training camps are a lot more challenging for somebody like David Quinn than they were for Barry Trotz. Yeah. And just to touch on Monday's game, which uh, didn't have a lot going on, which is kind of <laughs> the way the Islanders like it, especially against a team like Boston that also can play that way and, and usually plays that way in concert with their high-end guys. They didn't have David Pasternak. Zdeno Char is gone. So it's, it's a different looking Bruins team, but they certainly play the similar style. Um, in a game like that, when you've got Semyon Varlamov, and we'll get into that in, in the next segment about um, what happened with him uh, in, that, in that second game, which kind of kicked off the the, the night of awfulness in the garden in game two, um, he comes back in, not much practice time, uh, and really, you know, he had the shutout in game one, but he didn't have to work that hard. Game two, he had uh, game three against the Bruins, he had to work hard and he was really sharp. And what is that, you know, that kind of confidence you can have? When you see that guy back there, and it really goes back to the beginning of the playoffs, too. I think I'd had the stat in my story. I think it's nine of his last 21 starts, including the playoffs, zero or one goals allowed. So um, this guy is on his game, and I think a lot of people were worried about him when he came in to replace a really popular guy in Robin Leonard and had maybe a bit of an up-and-down season in 1920. But since the last two restarts now, he's been pretty much lights out. He has been. And, you know, I think that any time a goalie comes in and starts working uh, with the goalie gurus, with uh, the Islanders and Mitch Korn and Piero Greco, there's there's a little bit of an adjustment. And Robin Leonard had that, too. And he was coming yeah. off such an emotional, personally emotional departure from Buffalo, too. Um, and, you know, those two co- goalie coaches do sort of rework subtle things. They work with goalies hands and positioning and and things like that. And And the goalies have to be willing to be open to that and be willing to change. And the older you get, it's tougher to change. Right. And, and I think that for these guys, there's a a tremendous amount of of credit goes to them for being willing and open to that. Uh, And I think for, for Varlamov coming in and he and Grice had that had a great thing going last year, every other, I didn't, they set a record going every other night, 30, 30 some odd (laughs) games alternating through a 17 game unbeaten streak too. Right. And that, you know, the fact that you have two goalies that the team trusts inherently both equally and, you know, and eventually Varlamov stole that starting spot and, and Grice was, is a great partner to have. And, uh, and, you know, Barry Trott still speaks incredibly highly of Thomas Grice and the way that both Grice and Varlamov brought Sorokin along in the bubble and helped him and mentored him. And that's just a great foundation, right? The goalie foundation, but the team foundation. So I think for somebody for, like Varlamov, to, to come in and play as calmly as he did against a high-powered Boston offense. Now, arguably, you mentioned some of the players that they're missing. They didn't look – they play the same style. They didn't look themselves to me. And I think they're a little snake-bitten. I mean, Marchand hits the post, uh, you know, and he he quipped earlier that, you know, it was the, he was blaming – joking around, but he was blaming the pucks, the puck tracking mm-hmm. stuff, that they weren't going in the net for him. That must have been the reason. You know, and so, you know, I think that they they certainly have their kinks to work out. Losing Tory Krug is a lot of offense for them. Um, but with that said, they're still the Boston Bruins, and they've still had a boatload of success over the last couple of years, and they still have – Patrice Bergeron and Brad Marchand up there and you've got Jake DeBrusk who scores a lot of goals for them. So that the fact that they could keep shut them out and now you have Varlamov with two games, his first two games with a shutout and this incredible streak going, you see Matt Martin grab the game puck afterwards. I, I actually never proved or um, confirmed that, but I assume it was for Varlamov for doing that. And, yeah. you know, I, I do, I think that that gives the team a sense of, of calm and it gives the team a sense of freedom. You can play a little differently when you know that if you make a mistake, you're probably going to be bailed out. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So we were just talking about the confidence that Semyon Varlamov gives having posted back-to-back shutouts. Uh... Can can we'll have to talk? We do need to talk about the second game because we need to talk about Ilya Sorokin's NHL debut. He may never want to talk about it again in his what you think will be a long and storied NHL career. But uh, I first have to ask AJ, as a player, did you ever experience anything like that where you, especially in goal, which is the most important position, where you had a, a late switch and you're playing with someone who's brand new and you're you know. A lot must be going through players' heads. This is the NHL. The kid's proven himself internationally for years and years, but it's still very different. Uh, Actually, I have. Um, Interestingly enough, my senior year in college, um, I was back at Harvard after a two-year hiatus to play in the Olympics, and we had a junior goaltender who was very good. And that year, we did go on to win the national title, and we went 33-1. and So we're right in the middle of this big run where we, you know, we were the favorite, and it was probably – it was um, early February – and Angela Ruggiero, who's hockey, hockey fans may know, she's a hockey hall of famer, four-time Olympian and a college uh, team USA, but also college teammate of mine came in just at the hash marks, took a slap shot right off our goalie's collarbone and warm up for a game, oh. broke her collarbone. And our freshman goaltender who was scared out of her wits had to take over. And, uh, and it was in the bean pod. So New York people, anybody who's from the Boston area knows that it's a, it's a Boston tournament with BUBC Northeastern and Harvard. And uh, we won that game six, five in overtime. <laughs> so we knew that we had to, this goal This this girl, she did a great job, our freshman. Um, and she had to play up until, you know, she had to play that month. And then we go into the, into the playoffs and everything right before the national um, NCAA tournament started, our other goalie comes back. She breaks her collarbone in her first game. I mean, re-breaks it right when she comes back. So the good part is, is that the freshman goaltender had experience. She came in. And by the way, we won the national title 6-5 in overtime again. So (laughs) the reason I bring that up is that we knew that we just had to, we were going to give up goals that we wouldn't have given up otherwise. And we had to crank up the offense and we had to, and we had the, we had the talent to do that. And I think the Islanders do too. So I'm not saying that Sorokin is going to give up weak goals. I do think he gave up a couple that he wants back in his, in his season debut. And I would shake that off. I would give that to him only because goalies are, are different the way they prepare for games. Now he's going to have to figure out and be a pro and, and figure out how to jump back in and get out, come off the bench and be prepared for the uh, unexpected. But for your for your NHL debut, your first year with a team in the second game of the season, for it to have happened that way, that's challenging. I was there was a little glimmer of hope in me during we were doing the pregame show when we learned about it that maybe this would be a good thing. He wouldn't have time to lose sleep the night before and have this anxiety, and that was sort of a maybe looking at the silver lining. But you know, 
I, I think the adjustments and Arthur, I think you and I talked about it before the traffic in front of the net is going to be one of the biggest adjustments, but we didn't really talk about the size of the rink. So some of those off angle shots are tough for a goalie coming from the KHL and they're used to the Olympic size sheet, which is a hundred feet wide. It's 10 feet wider than what yeah. the NHL plays. So the angles move and change on that. So, you know, I, I, it's not a direct comparison to my experience, but I guess my point is, is that the team's not going to lose faith in him in one game. They have confidence in Varlamov. He's earned that. But Sorokin has to build up that that confidence and that trust in the team. And he will. I have faith. I, I know everything the guys have said and Barry Trotz have said is that he is going to be a superstar goalie. He's just, you know, people expected him to come in and take the Islanders world by storm. And yeah. it, sometimes it doesn't work that way. You got you to gotta ease into it. Yeah, you know, it was. Um, I was flipping back and forth between the Islanders and the Rangers broadcasts, and Steve Valaket, who's uh, been on the show a bunch of times, and and really breaks down things so so clearly in terms of shots. You know, with his company that he has uh, on the side from his uh, his analyst role, when he mentioned the third goal, I think it was uh, Pavel Buchnevich's second goal. It came from kind of off the wall. That goal, he said, on I think it was 11,000 shots last season, 1.4% um, of the time that puck goes in. And I and I remember talking to him last year during the pause, and he also as a former goalie said that like when you give up those low percentage shots, the team just sags. And obviously that was a 3 nothing goal. And the first goal really was probably not a good one either. It was kind of a slow side to side for, for Sorokin, a tough shot on a two-on-one after a turnover, but still a stoppable shot. And when you have a goalie, even at, and at peewee, college, whatever, you give up, you have a goalie behind you who's given up goals on shots he should stop. It just, I think it just, especially this time of year with all the weirdness, like you said, short camp, all this stuff, it all just kind of fell apart and um, unfortunate for Sorokin. And we'll see how he can handle it. You know, it, it's also a, a funny situation because of COVID and the taxi squad and the need for extra goalies that you see some guys being claimed on waivers that you wouldn't ever think would get claimed and certainly not in years past. So the Islanders are going to have to hold on to Corey Schneider. I think we were both on Barry's Zoom today. Like their plan is to have three goalies on their active roster all year long. And lucky they did uh, on Saturday night because Corey Schneider was able to just throw his equipment on and be the backup. And he's a guy who's played a few hundred NHL games. But if you're Elias Sorokin, you've got this 10-year NHL vet looking over your shoulder. You know, I, I imagine that this is going to be a test for him uh, that maybe he didn't anticipate when he was deciding to come over. I think you bring up a really good point that uh, uh, saves that goalies make and or goals that they let in can affect the team more than maybe people realize. And and usually it's a momentum thing or a mindset. And, you know, it, you can't you can't fault a, a rookie goalie for giving up a uh, breakaway to Artemi Panarin. Um, but at the same time, if he makes that save, that changes the, the momentum too, right? So, you know, that's not as big a deal as maybe letting up a softie, those low percentage shots or, or whatever it may be. But I mean, how many times did we see in the playoffs last year that Varlamov makes a big save and the team, you could just see them sort of puff up their chest a little and they, they think, okay, well, if he's going to be doing that at that end, we better go down the other end and score for him. And, and I think that that there's so much value to that again, whether it, it deflates you and takes the wind out of your sails, if they let in a softy or on the flip side, when they make those big saves. So, you know, I think that those, um, 
that relationship will, again, that trust that has to develop organically, you can't force it. And I think that they've got a great, you know, the fact that Varlamov is the starter, and then you've got Corey Schneider, who's been around, has so much experience, and and they're going to mesh, the three of them, and they're going to figure out, and you hope it meshes in a positive way, that they push each other, right? Because that's the weirdest thing when you look at these goalies. Like, when you have Grice and Leonard and Grice and Varlamov, and they're such good friends, and they're such good teammates and partners, yet it's the irony, right? They're competing for playing right. time with each other. It's a, it's a really weird dynamic, but you know, on the healthy teams, it's a good dynamic and it's a good competition. So you just hope that the three of them can develop that. And that, uh, you know, what I'm going to be curious, if I'm Barry Trotz, you got to think long and hard about when you put Sorokin back in, because you don't want to wait too long because then he's sitting there just wallowing in the, that game, the goals that he gave up against the Rangers and he starts second guessing himself. Right. But at the same time, every game means so much in a 56 game season. And there's been two nights off for Varlamov. So, you know, you just, if that's a, that's going to be an interesting thing for trots to see when he gets Sorokin back in. And like you said, whether, whether we ever see Schneider. And uh, you know, there were a couple other unfortunate standouts in that game. You were talking about Noah Dobson. He did have a turnover that led to that first goal. And another turnover, I think, that led to the fourth Ranger goal out of the five. Uh, Scott Mayfield had a couple turnovers. One of them uh, bounced off the linesman and kind of went back into the zone. And that was uh, a goal for Buchnevich. Um So, yeah, there were some there were some mistakes made. Uh, they didn't generate a whole lot. And I think in also talking about Matthew Barzell, who was shot out of a cannon in game one. And even when at the day that he signed his contract, you know, I, I wasn't out there watching the scrimmage, but I think he had goals on the first two shifts in their own in the little intra-squad scrimmage the day that he signed. So this is, you know, when we talked last week about him, you know, being on, you know, thinking he's going to be on a mission, that's great. But also, you know, you get into a game like the one against the Rangers where nothing is going right. You can flush that one aside. But then on Monday... When you're facing a team like Boston and they're clogging things up and they're hitting you and whacking you and knocking you down, um, you know, it's it'd be interesting to see uh, tonight, you know, how he recovers, how he puts his game back together, because it's he's never had the had problems for very long. You know, in the last couple of years under Barry Trotz, he's obviously been asked to do a little bit less scoring wise and a little bit more away from the puck. But I am curious to see, you know, he, he had so much, uh, you know, adrenaline going for that first game and and had a really strong impact on it and hasn't had as much of an impact the last two um you know you can't you can't try to use it all up at once i guess and and pace yourself a little bit and i wonder you know is, has he matured to the point now on a second contract making a lot more money than he used to can he can he be that guy that Barry Trotz is is telling him he needs to be I think that the maturity is going to be the big question mark and, and, and the big, to me, the sign of maturity is managing your emotion, right? You don't want to take emotion away from a player, especially a player that is as passionate as Barzell and he does get fired up and it's okay to get, you can see him get a little angry. If he uses that anger and that emotion and that passion to generate offense or to fire up his teammates. And like I said before, when you watch him and he's going, he's smiling and he's feet are moving and he's inside the dots and he's giving the puck up and moving to open spaces. I mean, there's all these little tells with him. And then, you know, the emotion that he had on Saturday night and granted things just weren't going well. You mentioned the linesman getting in the way. That wasn't the only time that happened. Now those guys and Scott Mayfield to his credit too, it's like they're human. They they're doing the best they can. It's just the timing of that was, was, crummy for for the Islanders um you know things like that were happening just bad bouncing puck and it's hard to 
create the energy when you can just feel it being sucked out of you. But then you see Matt Barzell get three penalties. That's so unusual for him. All in the uh, offensive that, zone too. Uh, all in the offensive zone. And, and just, just penalties that, you know, maybe you can look at it and, uh, you know, Butch and I usually disagree. He's always hammering the refs that, you know, he's, he's <laughs> saying really? that the Islander. Butchie? Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. No, no. And so, and we, uh, we will often disagree about what was a penalty or what was, what was, or what wasn't. And, um, but, you know, I think that those are undisciplined penalties. And, you know, then on Monday, the team gets a too many men on the ice. So, you know, there's there's these little discipline things that the whole team needs to figure out. But I think specifically to your question about Matt Barzell, I do think he's there. I think he has to be there. Signing the contract that he did, um, being a couple years into the league with the pressure on him. It's one thing the year after he wins the Calder and John Tavares leaves. To, to maybe take a little sophomore slump, which he didn't, by the way. But still, you can sort of see him growing through that, having a new coach, trying to figure out that defensive side, trying to figure out playing above the puck, all those things that Barry Trotz was working with him. At this point, he has to figure out how to manage that con- that energy consistently and how to manage that emotion consistently. He can't have these big swings up and down because the team will read off of that and they will feed off it. And, and they do have a great leadership group there. Um, so hopefully they can ma- maintain consistency. But I just think the face of the franchise, like that's, that's what they, they're big expectations for him. And he has big expectations for himself. He wants to be the guy. So he's got to figure out how to do that. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady. Live only on Netflix. So uh, we also learned yesterday that uh, the world at large has intruded on the Islanders, as it seems like it's going to intrude on every team in the NHL. Um, Josh Bailey went on the COVID protocol list. He was the only one, and today he's still the only one, and the game is going to be played. So that's at least a small relief that it's not uh, anything more serious than that. Um, but uh, just, you know, the the – and and hearing, you know, before anything happens and you hear the players and coach say you just have to be smart and try to do all the right things, follow the protocols, clearly Josh Bailey is not a dumb guy. He's a leader on this team. He's been following the protocols, you would think, outside of the rink, and something happened. You never know. You have kids in school. You have um, other people that are in your house that you can't control sometimes. Um, you never know, and it's it's baseless and useless to speculate, but it happened, and uh, it certainly seems like he's going to miss this game tonight and maybe more than that. So how, you know, AJ, you expect the unexpected, but those are just words until something actually happens. How do you kind of, you know, keep the, the world at large? It's e- I guess it's easier to do when you're in a complete bubble like they were in the playoffs, but now uh, it's hard to keep the world at bay, I guess. It is. And, you know, a much smaller deal because it's my children, but we went through two different situations where first my son was considered a close contact um, through a hockey teammate. And actually then my daughter through a hockey teammate also was in um, a close contact. They both had to do separately uh, two weeks of quarantine in our house, which is also complicated, right? Because I've got four kids, my husband and I, so you're quarantining in our house, but we're not necessarily quarantining. I mean, there's all these, these confusing rules that are state to state, but then there are schools that have different rules. And obviously now talking about the NHL, the league has rules. And 
whether or not people agree with them or find fault in them, they are rules that were they were set out by the league, by the PA, and agreed to. Um, and and sometimes things with COVID don't necessarily they're a little counterintuitive. Um, but at the same time, I think it's none of us have ever been through a, a pandemic before. So we're tr everybody's trying to figure out how to manage this. And and the bubble was such an incredible success on on paper in terms of COVID, but of course in, impossible to replicate um, right. through a regular season. So to your point, they have family, and I think all of them are being smart. And as teammates, I think they just have to trust that everybody is being as smart and as socially responsible as they can be, because this is their job. This is their work. They need to follow the rules and the regulations, but their kids have to go to school. And, uh, you know, if they, they play sports, you can't ask your kids not to go play sports. Or, you know, if you're, if you, somebody in your house has to go to the supermarket to get food. I mean, there are ways that you're going to be exposed and just, you know, you hope for the Islanders sake that it was just a one-off and that, Josh Bailey was maybe considered, I, I don't know, but considered a close contact. And maybe he takes a day or two, gets a couple negative tests and he can return, but right. it's a frustrating time. Uh, and you just hope that everybody's being as smart and as safe as they can be. Yeah. You bring up the part about the rules. We were talking about it before we went on the air, the, the capitals have a much more, a much bigger situation to deal with where with Alex Ovechkin and Ilya Samsonov, their number one goalie, Evgeny Kuznetsov, Dmitry Orlov, four pretty important guys for their team. Not that Josh Bailey isn't important, but he's one guy. And this is four, including their captain who broke protocols. I think they gathered to play cards or something when the team was on the road in a hotel, which you're not allowed to do. And that may seem like silly rules. I think Mrs. Ovechkin took to Instagram to point out how silly the rules are because the guys are in the locker room together and on the bus together and on the bench together with no masks. And that I totally understand that, that some of these rules seem nonsensical, but they are rules. Everybody knew them ahead of time. You knew what the punishments were for violating them. And P.S., the Caps, according to Peter Laviolette, do have a positive test among that group. So that's why they're all quarantined and they are going to miss a few games, including the first two that they play against the Islanders next week. So yeah, it's, I think there's a, there's a lot of reminders, you know, Carolina's got a situation. Dallas still hasn't played a game as of our recording this today. So, um, well, and you know, going forward tonight, yeah. I've got Tampa Bay and they, they haven't played because they were supposed to play against Dallas. So they've had a week off. So, right. and they, and they did nothing wrong, Tampa. I mean, they right. had, <laughs> And that's going to happen to these teams, right? So it is an interesting, but some of these rules, you know, you use the word nonsensical. It's so true. There are times that I'll have to travel for work for these broadcasts and I have to take a test before I leave the state in order to re-enter the state. But it's two days, just because the times, right? It's got to be 48 hours ahead, but I'm only leaving for one night. Right. So I'm taking a test to prove that I didn't get COVID when I was out of state, but I haven't left the state yet. Anyway, I'm probably not making sense, but it doesn't make sense to me, but I'm trying to follow the rules as they're uh, expressed to me. I think, I think Barry Trotz put it best today that, it, you know, you, you respect your teammates and your coworkers and you do the right things. Then you have nothing to apologize for because things are going to happen. It's a virus. It's going around uncontrolled in a lot of areas. So, uh, you, just, you know, it's just about trying to do the best you can do and, and be honest with yourself and honest with everybody around you. And then you hope for the best after that. So absolutely. Well, Barry Trotz has got a way with words. He's, <laughs> he does. Good, good soundbite. And that figures into our closing segment here because two things. One, uh, while I was watching uh, Monday's pregame show where you were in the Coliseum and we'll talk about that a little bit, too, that you got to be in the Coliseum to watch the game. I did not go. Um you uh, you made a Ted Lasso reference and <laughs> talking about having the goldfish memory that J that Ted Lasso played by Jason Sudeikis on the Apple TV series that AJ is a big fan of. I'm a big fan of. 
Uh, and Barry Trotz is a big fan of. I was talking to Barry the other day, uh, and I just had to ask because of all of the coaches that I've ever encountered, I'd say the no one is really like Ted Lasso because there's no coach that would be that enthusiastic all the time. But I think Barry might be the closest one to Ted Lasso that I've ever encountered covering 20 years of pro football and college basketball and, and, and NHL hockey for as long as I have. Did you have any coach like Ted Lasso? We'll talk about Barry in a second, but I, as someone who played as long as you did, AJ, did you ever, when you watch the show, does anyone come to mind for you that, that you get reminded of from your playing days? No. And I, I, <laughs> I am curious to know how I would look back on a coach like that, because watching the show as a middle-aged former athlete, I think he's amazing. Right. And I love the show. I tore through the first season. I did see it was um, renewed. So I'm very excited for the return of Ted Lasso. And by the way, throwing in that reference, I, uh, um, Steve Napolitani who's our producer now at MSG. He was like, what? I haven't watched Ted Lasso. So I, I don't know that our crew, <laughs> it was lost on them a little bit. I very much, I love that you appreciated it though. So, so thank you for texting me afterwards. Um, I, I do, I agree with you though, because Barry Trotz not only has a way with words and a way with, um, analogies. He's also got a, a positive outlook. And, and part of that probably comes with experience and being on, you know, being a part of the whole rebuild in Nashville and, and working with a superstar like Ovechkin and sort of reworking his game and then winning the cup and all these different things. But, you know, he, he lets the team know when he doesn't like what they've done, but he's, he's got, he's always got this overarching sense of um, there's a, there's a calmness to him. Right. And I'd never had, I mean, I had great coaches, don't get me wrong, but Definitely not ones that were uh, like Ted Lasso. I think I probably re- would have responded pretty well to his style, though. I, I don't know. I think he's, uh, yeah, have a short, short memory like the goldfish. That's what he exactly. told Sam. Um, I asked when I asked Barry what he liked about it. He didn't see, you know. He, I think the the theme that a, a coach like Barry takes away is it's not always about the X's and O's. Being a coach, you know, you you, you make the relationships, and those are the those are the things that not only help your work environment, but they help your players be their best selves. And, uh, you know, I, I found that to be the thing that was, I was anticipating what he would say. Um, my last question to him when we were talking about this was, has he coached more Jamie Tarts or Roy Kent's in his career? (laughs) And for those who are not familiar with the show, Jamie Tart, basically the stud young player who doesn't really care about the, the team concept and doesn't really pay much attention to anything, just interested in himself. Uh, and Roy Kent, the aging superstar who's a little past his prime, but is still one who commands a ton of respect in the room. Um, his answer was, I guess, you know, it depends on the team he's had, but he's probably had more Jamie Tarts, but he's turned a couple of Jamie Tarts into Roy Kent's. And that's the thing that he likes the most about thinking about players like that. So I'll ask you again from your playing days, uh, were you a Jamie Tart or were you a Roy Kent <laughs> when you were a player? <laughs> Um, or were you both went from one to uh, the other? (laughs) I was, I was never, I didn't have the flashy skill to be a Jamie Tart. Uh, that is, you know, it's funny. uh, The thing that I miss most about playing is the team. And, and I, and I did appreciate it when I was playing. So I would say that I was more of a Roy Kent. Now the irony of saying that is I retired at the age of 26 to start a family. So I was never the aging (laughs) player on the team. Um, I retired at a pretty young age, but, um, I, I, you know, I, women's hockey was maybe a little different too, in terms of, I was a part of it. at such a young age of the sport that we were, I was very lucky to play on teams with mostly a team first 
uh, mentality. Now, I do like in that episode when you watch Jamie Tart, you sort of see the other side and you see Ted Lasso start to get through to him, start doing what Barry Trotz is talking about. And I agree a thousand percent with what Barry is saying. Good coaches are not about X's and O's. And often the coaches that are all about X's and O's aren't actually great coaches because you have to be a people person and you have to understand what motivates your team. And the hard part with it, with a team, like a large team, like hockey is everybody may be motivated differently, but yet you can't be perceived as treating people differently, right? There's all these little gray areas, all these little fine points that I think, I mean, I've watched Barry Trotz for the last couple of years and I'm amazed with how well he walks that tightrope and how, how effortlessly he seems to do that. Um, because I think that that's what, you know, if you're a one-on-one coach in an individual sport, it's a little different. You figure out what makes that athlete tick and you do it. But when you've got a whole team, you've got to worry about the intangibles and the intangibles are just that you can't put your finger on them. Well, we could do a whole Ted Lasso episode, but I <laughs> we'll think... do that after the, when the second season comes out, we'll put that's that right, on the That's right. That's right. Well, I'll, we'll work on trying to get, uh, Jason Sudeikis on the show to talk about his yes. influences and whether he's heard from other people. I'm fascinated to see if there's more coaches in the NHL or other sports who have who have loved Ted Lasso the way that uh, Barry Trotz has and the way that you and I have, but for another time. So uh, thank you as always, AJ. This is great. We're just getting started with this season, and uh, I know you won't be uh, be able to watch the Islanders live tonight with your other responsibilities, but uh, we'll be back again next week after you've reviewed the tape and covered a couple other ones and We'll, uh, we'll have some more games to break down, so enjoy your night. Thank you very much. You as well, and I look forward to it. We'll talk next week. Well, that's all we got for this week, everybody. Tune in soon, and uh, when you can, you know, go on Apple, rate us, uh, subscribe. We, uh, we need all the comments we can get from everybody who loves to listen to No Sleep Till Belmont. Now we're going to podcast from The Athletic. So we'll see you again soon.